For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me for a very special Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and you can check out all of our new fantasy baseball work and updates over at Ethos Fantasy BB. Podcasts, articles, polls, news and notes, you name it, we got it over there. Going to be really ramping up over the next couple of weeks as well as our draft guide gets prepared. Should be out in the third week of February, so stay on the lookout there and at sportsethos.com if you're not somebody who uses social media. We are doing another team preview today, and we are going to be joined by a very special guest, a great friend, somebody who I've had the pleasure of hanging out with in person multiple times. He was one of the stars of First Pitch Arizona 2023 with this fantastic <laughs> podcast. Not you, he's gonna he's laughing, but the Palazzo podcast live version at First Pitch Arizona in 2023. You can go back and listen in the podcast feed. You won't be able to capture the magic of what was in that room during that time. I'm telling you, and anybody who was there would agree that that was probably the best hour of the show. He was here last year to do the same thing, preview the Seattle Mariners. You can find his work over at the Dynasty Guru, and also, like I said, co-hosting the Palazzo podcast. Sam Wershing, what are you doing, my friend? How's it been? Uh, I've been good. Thank you. That's a hell of an introduction. I think that's too nice for me, but I'll take it. So, uh, just been hanging out, getting, uh, getting ready for the season to come. The hibernation of the off season is starting to wear off. The weather's starting to turn and we're getting more and more reports about baseball. We're really close to actionable data, which is what all of us are looking forward to. So, you know, uh, as always, I'm just living my best life. I play with dogs during the day and I get baseball at night. So, you know, Life's good. You're living the dream, my friend. You're living the dream. Um, no, uh, you were you were awesome to meet a couple of years ago at first pitch. We met again last year. I'm going to be going every single year I'm able to. I think you're probably in the same bucket unless there yes. are some crazy circumstances that come up. Uh, I'm going to be down there and you guys should be as well. It's a great experience. You can you find Sam over on Twitter. Uh, sorry, did I cut you off there? What'd you say? I was just going to agree with you. If you play fantasy baseball, you know, this is a, an advertisement for baseball HQ and first pitch Arizona. It's, it's literally the place to be and words and people talking about it do absolutely nothing to really convey what it's like to be there. I mean, it's truly the definition of community. And so like Joe was saying, like we met each other uh, two years ago at first pitch and we got to hang out again this last year at first pitch. And, you know, before we started recording, we talked about, you know, you were friends. Like I, I would let you come over to my house. I would go visit you in Canada. Like it's a real connection you make with people. So if you're out there listening, come in November, Joe and I'll buy you a beer. I'll buy you a beer. And the offer goes both ways. If you're ever up in Toronto, not that you'd want to come here to the cold of Toronto, but if you are here, of course, the offer goes both ways. 
Um, you can find Sam over on Twitter at SamFBB1. And like I said, Dynasty Guru and Palazzo Podcast. What do you have going on right now? What's the, what's the content like for you over there at both places? Uh, at the Palazzo Podcast, uh, we're just getting some things together to do our off-season march, have more regular daily shows. Uh, they've got a prospect hour that they're doing once twice a week now um there's uh going to be some drafts some mock drafts uh just a lot of fun over there kind of trying to capture the the spirit and the 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 feelings of this off season and, and get people excited about that over at the dynasty guru uh i'm doing a series with other uh, smart people in the industry. Uh, we're doing a how do you play baseball, uh, fantasy baseball from a dynasty or a keeper aspect. How does that affect your uh, work behind the scenes for evaluating players, for putting rosters together? What formats do you like to play if you're playing in dynasty or keepers? And just a real fluid conversation with uh, people about life in general. So I've got a couple of fun projects that we're working on. Uh, can't wait for them to be done. I've got uh, two podcasts out already with uh, Lucas Beery and DVR, Derek Van Riper. And I've got this week, we're going to be talking to Clegg and Eno Saris. So <clears throat> heavy hitters all around. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to learn a lot. Those are indeed the heavy hitters. And just to remind you guys, in case you'd forgotten or hadn't heard, Eno is also going to be stopping by this show on Friday, along with Nick Pollock. We're going to have a lot of fun talking pitcher rankings with a couple of great guys. But right now, we have the greatest guy here, of course, Sam Wershing. We're going to be talking some Seattle Mariners, and we are going to be going, as we usually do here, just top to bottom, going through the lineup, talking about the pitching rotation, the closers, potential handcuffs, that sort of thing. But let's start off with J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford was excellent last season. Uh, I played in a league that was on the NFBC. It was a second-half gladiator. I don't know if you're familiar with the gladiator format, Sam. I'm sure you've heard of it. You draft your starting lineup. You just – that's it. You don't make any moves during the season. This one was an all-star break one. I took J.P. Crawford, and, man, I had him for the second half of the season. Boy, was I happy with what I got out of Crawford in the second half. He batted close to 300. He started hitting more homers. He was stealing bases. Like he was, he was doing everything. Not a lot of steals, but he gave you 19 homers, a couple steals. He batted 266 as a whole. And it can be described, I think, as kind of a, a breakout season for JP Crawford. Do you agree there? I do. I do. And I think the thing about JP Crawford is that he's not one of those elite shortstops that you're looking at to fill your roster space. He's just a grinder. He's going to be in the Mariners lineup every day. The Mariners uh, rely on him to set the table. And given the season he had last year where he was hitting, hitting for power, hitting consistently, coming up with, you know, clutch base hits here and there. He really, you know, in big moments kind of solidified his presence where, you know, a couple of years ago when we had that big shortstop free agent class, I was hopeful that we'd sign somebody, Seeger or Story or Correa or I forget who the fourth one was that was on the market, but there were a bunch of big names and uh, Turner, Trey Turner. And it looked like, you know, the Mariners, even though J.P. Crawford will never be confused with those four players or Xander Bogarts, he's really carved a role and is definitely a starting middle infielder for a 15 team league, if not a starting shortstop in a 15 team league. And, you know, you're, you're going to love him because he's not going to have that month that he, you know, accumulates a ton of stuff. He's just going to have six months of just steady production. So I'm a big fan of him. I've started acquiring him in dynasty formats also. So 
I'm a big fan of JP. He's really started to show something, but because before this year, he'd never hit 10 home runs. He'd never stolen 10 bases. He was, he was all potential and no show. And now we have a floor that we can live with. If he hits 20 home runs a year, he's playable. He's playable in any format, even probably down to 12 team leagues. So I don't even know that he's necessarily needs 20 to be viable. I think he's going to get there from a volume standpoint to some degree. They're going to play him. I mean, if you look at the last three years, 145, 145, 160, he's going to volume his way into runs at the top of the order. Even if it's like, even if it's 15 home runs, I think that we're still pretty good uh, with what we're getting out of JP Crawford. The projections have him from anywhere from 12 to 14. 15 isn't really much of a stretch to expect there. He's a great on base percentage asset. If you're in an OBP league, it was 380 last year, and in part due to his massive walk rate, nearly 15%. He's yep. not a guy who strikes out a lot. There's a lot of positives here. And going up pick 275, I think that you can wait on your shortstop and take J.P. Crawford pretty comfortably. It's a bit of a risk you play if you're getting down to 240, 250. Somebody else could snag him, and then, I mean, you don't want to be pushing it too far. But, like, I would be comfortable with Crawford if you can, if you can guarantee, you know, take him around ahead of ADP and say, he's my starting shortstop. I think that you're going to be pretty happy with what you get overall from him, even though he's not the sexiest name, not the sexiest profile. He's just solid. He's just absolutely solid. And I I see no reason to not take a chance on him at that price. It's very reasonable. Agreed. And especially with outfielders falling off so early in these drafts that you, it, you always think I need to focus in on my middle infielders. I need to get a second baseman. I need to get a shortstop. I need to get somebody to fill that in. And that position, middle infield, second and shortstop, is a lot deeper, I think, than people are used to coming into this year. And so I think that there's real validity to that. You can focus on other parts of your roster and sleep on a shortstop. Yeah, get him absolutely. at 250, 260. So I like it. I'm there with you completely. Let's talk about, you know, I just said not the sexiest player. Let's talk about one of the sexiest players you can talk about for fantasy baseball, real baseball, anything. Julio Rodriguez. 32 and 37 last year with a 275 batting average, 102 runs, 103 ribbies. The projections think that he'll do that and even potentially even a little bit more. Um, pretty much across the board, you're seeing 30 home runs, 32 home runs with 100 runs, 100 ribbies, 34 steals. Like the projections are wild for him. It's hard not to disagree. Or it's hard. It's hard to disagree with what they're saying about him. Um, now the ADP is 2.8. He's usually going off the board as the second. Sometimes the third player after Bobby Witt. Are you comfortable? I mean, you're going to be a little bit biased here, of course, but are you comfortable taking him as high as number two this year? Yeah, I think he's really shown out. Uh, again, that whole, you you look at these players for potential, and then once they convert over to being boring, steady players, like a J.P. Crawford, people kind of lose sight of him. But Julio doesn't ever get boring. I mean, that man is always doing something, whether or not it's, 16 base hits in a four game series or four game stretch, or, you know, he's a 30, 30 guy in a second full year in the majors, or the fact that he's able to do that at uh, T-Mobile ballpark, uh, a ballpark notorious for hurting offensive production. He just has that, that it factor. His brain is just operating so much more efficiently than anybody else's. I, Yeah, I love him at number two, and I think that we're going to be talking about him at, you know, the top three for the next five to ten years. Uh, He's generational. So uh, let's go. Let's go, Julio. Love it. He's one of those players, like, I want to spend all day on him, but you don't really need to. There's nothing really to dig in and say, well, maybe this. Well, I mean, like, he's elite as it gets. 
yeah. he is going to be somebody that at some point in his career is a consensus number one overall pick. You know, we talk about you know year in and year out how like, we saw Mike Trout go number one for like seven years in a row, but usually it kind of mixes up. You'll see one guy this year, one guy that year. There'll be several years where Julio's a number one pick, and I think that. You know, we're taking Ronald Acuna Jr. every time at number one. I'm, no one's going to really fight you on that. You should take Acuna at one. But if he doesn't finish at one, it wouldn't shock me. And if a guy like Julio was able to, you know, get to that number one spot, I know it sounds crazy, but repeating the number one overall year uh, over and over again is not something that usually happens. A guy like Julio could go 40-40 with 100 and 100 and bat like 300. He could very easily finish as the number one player in fantasy. I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't take him over Acuna, but he's going to get there, I think, at some point soon. Yeah, I think there's probably a half dozen players that have come up that are young. Uh, those two, you talked about Bobby Witt earlier. There's Corbin Carroll. There is Fernando Tatis, who still has shown that he can be the best player in baseball. Yeah. Uh, Shohei Otani. Uh, has shown that he can just do amazing things. And if he's only focused on hitting this year, you know, I'm real interested to see Juan Soto. That makes seven. Like there, there's this influx of just young talent that we have in the majors. And yet Julio seems to also separate himself. It's it's him and Acuna that I think are really the top two, 1A, 1B. And I, I, I agree with you. You don't take Julio over Acuna at this point, but nobody's faulting you for taking Julio number two. No, there's no, there's nobody. And when you're that good, you're right. There's not much to say other than I can't wait to watch what he does this season on the field. I just, as a Mariners fan, I get to go see that live sometimes. It's just, it's great. That's what I was hoping for with Vlad Jr. in Toronto. We might get there, uh, but man, you guys have a gem in Julio for the next decade plus. The guy who's projected about third, and I mean, I'm hoping that he is just based on the fact that he is my most drafted player so far i've drafted this guy more than anybody else i think it's just been the price has been right even right. a bit of a, gave me a bit of a shock when he did get traded just because of that but jorge polanco looks like he's going to be batting right behind julio rodriguez here there's no more questions there wasn't a lot of question but there's no question now about playing time i think he is going to be an everyday player in seattle right behind julio there's a potential 20 homer 10 steals in this bat um I really like Jorge Polanco. I mean, I, I I love Jorge Polanco based on where he's been getting drafted. My opinion doesn't really change so much going to Seattle. I still think, you know, it's not a great ballpark for him to hit in, but it's a better lineup context, more assured playing time. I'm in on Jorge Polanco. Are you, Sam? You know, when he was a twin, I wasn't as excited about him because yeah. he, he falls into that kind of boring production. And he had had a couple of years. He had 33 home runs a few years ago, and he's kind of stepped down every year since then a little bit. Uh, but I believe that he's going to be consistent and I believe hitting in that lineup with Julio and we're going to talk about Mitch Garver and Cal Raleigh JP. I think that he has a real chance if he's healthy this year, if he plays 140 games, you could see a real difference maker. And I think that your point of at price that when you're drafting him, his his draft value hasn't shot up a, a ton. Uh, so I think that that's really where it's at. I wouldn't have him as you know, one of my top five or maybe even top eight second baseman if I was going into a draft. But I think he's top 10 and I think he has a chance for more given given where you're buying him at. So he's a great pick. It's awkward to think of this many Mariners hitters that are actually draftable and are going to give you uh, real production and fantasy. I was surprised as we were looking uh, over this before the show that that lineup, you know, that they've put together is not... Uh, it's not 
going to uh, score the fewest runs in the American League. They're going to be a middle to upper part of the the pack with that. And so, yeah, Polanco could really show out this year. I'm excited to see it, but I don't. It's hard for me to get excited just because he put on a Mariners uniform. And like you said, he's coming to T-Mobile where hitters come to die. So I really need to see him mentally that first couple months. Is he able to deal with the fact that that T-Mobile kills your bat? I I really want to see that out. So I might be out on drafting him this year, but I would understand why people would draft him at cost. So, Yeah, I mean, 260, that's kind of where I'm coming from. At pick 260, is there really that much of a of a risk? I mean, in most leagues, in a draft champions, like it's still relatively early, but he's a guy where if he's healthy, I think 20 and 10 is the floor. Last year in 80 games, it was 14 and four. That's not half a season. The easy doubling is what you shouldn't really do this, but if you double what he did last year in half a season, it's 28 and eight. The batting average doesn't hurt you. He's only a couple years removed from having that monster season in 2021. I think that's a, you know, the ballpark is the only thing that I don't really like here. I like the price. I like the profile generally. He has a good walk rate. Strikeouts have gone up the last couple of years, but I think that he's a fairly safe investment at cost. If he starts to go up like top 200 pick, then then no. But that's been the main appeal for me with, with Jorge Polanco is the fact that you're getting him pretty much dirt cheap. Um, the next grouping here is the next two guys projected in the order are Mitch Garver and Cal Raleigh, the catcher tandem. I think it's going to be the vast majority of the time Cal Raleigh with Mitch Garver kind of spelling him once or twice a week and occupying that that DH spot. Does that sound about right? Or do you think that Garver could potentially eat away more catcher at bats from Raleigh here? I don't think that uh, Garver is going to get much play catcher at all. Uh, we got Blake Hunt from Tampa Bay, and I think he's going to end up being our backup catcher. I'm real interested. To, yeah, I'm real interested to see if he spells him. But I believe Cal Raleigh is going to catch 130 games. Uh, I believe that Mitch Garver, if he's DH and is healthy, is going to play in 130, 140 games. And I think, uh, especially if Mitch Garver in your formats has catcher eligibility for next year, both of them uh, need to be rostered as catchers. And both of them should probably be drafted around the same place. They're both, you know, top six to eight catchers in Major League Baseball, depending on how you put things together. You know, so I, I like them both. I'm obviously a huge Cal Raleigh fan. If you've ever met me in person, like I, I think the world of Cal Raleigh as a player, uh, he's able to deal with that pitching staff and he has come into T-Mobile and has hit the ball hard. So, you know, the park doesn't seem to have an effect or sway over his mental approach to the game. So, you know, again, I'm real interested to see what what happens to Mitch Garver and if he's able to make mental adjustments. But I think they're both going to be solid. And I'm I was really excited for Mitch Garver to come into the Mariners organization as our DH. If we didn't get Shohei Otani, who's light years ahead of everybody, I think Mitch Garver is a real sneak up on you pick. The only thing I worry about with Garver is how much is he going to actually play? You know, the play the games played over the last few years is the main concern. The production while he's out there. I mean, last year. In 87 games, he batted 270, 19 homers, 50 ribbies. But it was only 87 games. The year before was 54, 68, 93. So I'm hoping that he can stay healthy because that's really the only roadblock here for him having success. But you don't think he's going to catch that much, which is interesting. I've heard a lot of people say they don't think he's going to be playing a huge factor, but you don't like you don't think he'll retain catcher eligibility for next year. Is that to that extent, you think? I think that if the Mariners are smart, they want Mitch Garver's bat in the lineup the next couple of years uh, for 
hitting. I don't think that there's anything that he can bring to that team defensively or behind the plate that is going to make a difference the way that him in the batter's box is. So I don't know what the Mariners are going to do, but my feeling is the path to success is figuring out how to keep him at DH and, and rotating and resting people at other part positions, you know, moving people through the out, the third outfielder position or moving people spelling the second baseman or the third baseman or Ty France at any given time. You know, I, I, I think catcher shortstop, uh, Julio Rodriguez and uh, Luke Rayleigh are all going to be pretty uh, solid contributors all year. I'm, I'm excited for that group to, to play 140 plus games each. You mentioned Ty France. He's the next guy up in the lineup. He had a down year for sure last season, but I think there's a good buyback opportunity on Ty France. The price is 312. You're not paying for him at all this year. And we know that generally speaking, he's a very solid batting average asset. He's capable of hitting 20 home runs. I'm willing to give him a pass for last year and buy back at a discount this year. Are you in on Ty France? Uh, I am. And there's two reasons, you know, there's the famous, he's going to show up to spring training in the best shape of his life. Cause he's been at driveline and there's tons of videos for him at driveline. So yeah. there's that narrative. There's also this is that Ty France has been hit by pitches by more than any other player in baseball uh, since he's been up the last three years. And I really think that that has affected uh, his approach at the plate. I think that it, it's gotten into his head and we saw the results of him, not being fundamentally sound. Uh, he couldn't hit for average. He couldn't hit for power. Uh, he was, he hit more double plays than any other Mariner that I saw last year. And maybe that's just anecdotal, but it really felt like runner on first one out tie France up to bat. We were done. It was a double play every time. To your I, point, I, he hit into 25 double plays to your point. That's a hell of a lot. Yeah. So, and if you look at his hit by pitches, I think he was hit by 700 or 800. It was something ridiculous. 34, but you're not too far off. <laughs> right. So, uh, and it was that amount the year before, and it was that amount the year before that. I mean, he just gets pegged at the plate. So I'm, I love Ty France, you know, the, the whole, I, I heard a cheer for him in the stands, uh, similar to the Ted Lasso, Roy Kent. He's here, he's there. He's every F and where Ty France, Ty France. So, I'm looking for some of that blue collar, lots of fun production. I think that he's a great late round pick for corner and field spot. I wouldn't have him as my starting first baseman coming into the season. I wouldn't trust him for that. But, you know, if Ty France is 95% of what they thought Ty France was going to be, he is also going to play 130, 140 games. Yeah, he's you know? proven very he, durable. And if he does it well, it's his head. If he gets hit again and, and loses his mind, Luke Rayleigh's going to come in and play first baseman for him. Tyler Locklear is going to come up and play first base. Like they have options where they didn't necessarily have them before. I think this is Ty years, Ty France's year to come back and be a comeback player. Yeah, so, I, I, I can see it. And I think the price is, is perfectly reasonable. The projections really like him. Certain projections <laughs> steamer loves him. Um, some of them are a little bit lower, but generally speaking, you're still looking at like 15, 16 homers, 70 runs, 70 ribbies, two sixty, two seventy batting average. Pass pick 300 as a reserve round type player. It's hard not to like that. Um, you mentioned Luke Rayleigh. Luke Rayleigh, you think he's going to have an everyday role? You think that he's going to be somebody, is he more of a strong side platoon? Is he somebody that you expect to play 130, 140 games? Uh, where, where are you at right now on him? Because he was 19 and 14 last year, home runs and stolen bases, 250 batting average. I like him. I'm just not 100% sure what the role is going to be like. 
Yeah, I think that there's a chance that he still gets platooned. Uh, Tampa Bay platooned him with Yandy Diaz, and I, I believe another another player. They they played around first baseman DH outfield between the three of them. Um, I think that that could still be the case in Seattle, but I also think that being in Seattle is going to free him up uh, to play. They don't, they, they've got a bunch of four a outfielders and there's only a couple of their outfielders in their minor leagues that I'm, I'm interested in having them play. I think Rayleigh's bat plays. I think they need to have guaranteed production. And, you know, if he bats six or seven in that lineup for the whole year, you know, there's not a lot of pressure. He's going to be, uh, hitting with people on base. The middle of that lineup is, is great. I think he's got an opportunity. So, I wouldn't, I'm not flag planning with him, but I'm, I, I, of all of our off season acquisitions, uh, I think Mitch Garver has got the highest ceiling. I think that, uh, Jorge Polanco has got the highest floor and I think Luke Rayleigh's the biggest wild card. So I'm excited to see how that turns out. That's a good way to put it. I, I think that if he is able to have, you know, if he's able to get into as many games as last year, which was 118, I like him a lot at that price, which is, well past 300 he's currently going to pick 326 he's a dual eligible player on the nfbc first base and outfield i think there's a lot to like here i think a lot of it comes back to the price people aren't pushing him up with the hope of well he's going to be whatever like sometimes players get traded and you just see the the price just skyrocket we haven't seen that i like what we're seeing here from pretty much everything except for the strikeouts at 31 percent. it's a little bit high but for fantasy purposes He's not going to kill your batting average. It's not going to be a huge asset, but he's not going to kill you. And there's a good potential for like 15 and 10 or something like that. And, and that range, again, in reserve rounds, you're hoping for upside. And there is a hell of a lot of upside with Luke Rayleigh if he is able to, to play 120 or so games again. You guys brought back Mitch Hanniger. Um, <laughs> we sure did. This was a kind of an interesting one. I wasn't. I wasn't really sure why necessarily you guys did this. I guess just taking a chance, hoping that, you know, familiar settings can bring him back to what he did. Cause just a couple of years ago, 2021, he was nearly 40 homers with 110 runs and a hundred ribbies. I think they're just hoping they can recapture some of that magic. I can't say I'm that interested, even though the price is pretty low at four Oh nine this year. I just haven't been able to draft Hanniger through my first eight or nine drafts. He's just not somebody I'm terribly interested in. Am I wrong there? Or should I be more interested in Hanniger? No, I can understand the hesitation with Mitch Hanniger. I will say this, you know, uh, I was talking a few minutes ago about the mental effect of playing at T-Mobile Park, that I think that there are some batters that just mentally can't get over the the fact that it it's a grind and you're going to have to do 81 really difficult games at home. You know, it's just hard. And Mitch Hanniger showed us in 2021 that he can handle being a elite producer in a Mariners lineup. And that was a lineup that didn't feature some of those bats that we have today. You know, there wasn't a Julio Rodriguez, JP Crawford wasn't hitting on all cylinders. Cal Raleigh wasn't the catcher that year. And so I think that there's, there's hope. I think that there's optimism. I'd be ready to pick him up uh, first round of fab. If he doesn't get drafted in your drafts that you're in, uh, because if he, if he's healthy, he is going to hit 260. He's going to hit 30 home runs. He's going to have 85 and 85. You know, I don't think they move him up into the lineup to get, you know, hundred and hundred again, like he had in 21. But I, I think that he has a real, uh, chance to contribute. And I don't think that they would have traded Robbie Ray away for that other than we have. And we'll talk about that in a second. I think probably one of the most deepest, starting rotations one to five 
that all five of them are draftable and you know <laughs> they're amazing it's yeah. incredible it's, it's incredible i pinch myself every day i get to see them yeah. as my pinchers so yeah and they're all under 30 except for luis castillo they're all under 27 except for castillo they're incredible um before we jump into the pitching in, with you know with both feet is there any interest in Josh Rojas, potentially Luis Arias, I mean, Sebi Zavala, any of those, you know, back of the order bench type of guys? Is there any any shot for these guys having fantasy viability this year? So there's a couple names that, you know, as a fan, I'm, I'm interested in because the front office seems to think a, a lot of them. Rojas is one of them. Uh, we have uh, Luis Arias, who's another one. I think Dominic Canzone has a real opportunity. Uh, to produce so for for players that are already on the 40-man roster those are the three that uh, as far as bats go that I'm I'm interested in taking a chance on I mean we just picked up Samad Taylor from the Royals I'm going to watch him in preseason you know he he's somebody who uh, projections like in his limited time so I'd be real interested to see what he could do uh, but other than that, you know, I'm not really interested in Cade Marlowe. Uh, I don't have interested in uh, some of those other players that are going to just be on the bench for him. Like you mentioned, Sebi Savala. I'm not I'm not interested in having him at all. I'm not going to roster uh, <clears throat> Dylan Moore, Taylor Trammell. They're just they're not I'm not interested in them. Yeah, it's hard to blame you. There's not really a hell of a lot of upside there. I know Moore's got a lot of speed, but I mean. There's nothing really there. Let's talk about the exciting stuff. Let's talk about the rotation. This is, I think, arguably the best rotation in baseball. The Dodgers make a, a strong case. Yep. It, it might be the Dodgers, but there's five draftable, and like arguably five top 40 or top 45 fantasy pitchers. When you're talking Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby, you're talking three top 15, top 20 pitchers at worst. It is an embarrassment of riches. Luis Castillo is the ace at this point. He's the most expensive of these pitchers, as I think he probably should be. You could maybe argue Kirby, and Kirby's actually inched up closer to Castillo over the course of draft season. Kirby used to be going in the 40s. Now he's going closer to the 30s. Castillo is generally like the end of the second round, beginning of the third. And I mean, it's hard to fault people taking him there the projections think that he's probably not going to do exactly what he did again they're calling for more of like a 375 type of era don't think the strikeouts will sustain to the same degree they think it'll be like 25 26 percent as opposed to 27 28 it's interesting uh, they're projecting some slight regression i think that castillo is still at worst a top seven pitcher in my rankings right now that's where he is he's seventh i love castillo and i have no problem taking him at the end of the second beginning of the third where, where are you right now on Castillo? Are you interested in him? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that he's absolutely uh, somebody that can anchor a starting rotation for your fantasy team. And so I have no issues uh, waiting to to get him. He pitches at the best park for a pitcher, and he pitches for a team that wants to win 54% of their games. So he should get you wins. He's going to do uh, good with ERA. Uh, you know, he seems to struggle sometimes with his whip, but, you know, the the time that he spent in Seattle, uh, you know, has just shown that he is that dog. You know, I really, I like him. And you talk about Kirby, you know, I think it gets lost that as, as elite as Kirby looks, uh, I feel that that's the same way that Gilbert feels, that you're looking at somebody who, 
it's like the the Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, or you know the the great two two players where one of them is just naturally just really good at it, and everything seems effortless. And then there's somebody who's just the grinder next to them that is literally trying everything that they can to get better. And I, you know, I'm not trying to say George Kirby doesn't work hard, and I'm not trying to say that Logan Gilbert needs to be a gym rat, but. I'm I'm excited about both of them. And that's not even getting into Wu or Miller. You know, we're talking about two young pitchers that both had Bryce Miller debuted and struck out 10 batters in his debut. Uh, Brian Wu has been getting buzz everywhere uh, for his offseason and the, the things that they're looking forward to him to step forward on. And so you're talking about a pitching staff that next year at draft season could all be taken in the top 100. I mean, there's really a reasonable pathway to consider that being legit that you need a Mariner starter, especially if they all stay healthy. So it's real hard to not sound like a homer when we talk about that pitching staff for draft season because there's not, I don't think that there's a bad name uh, in that top five. And where they're at is for for uh, Castillo and Kirby, you know, I get that. But I might I might jump around for the other three. I, I might try to really make sure that if I miss out on a Castillo or a Kirby that I'm getting a Gilbert or anchoring a rotation with a Castillo Gilbert or a Kirby Gilbert or, you know, it just, it, it, it like you said, it's an embarrassment of riches. There's not a bad place to go. They're going to give you four categories in pitching minus saves. Yeah, they're, I mean, it's honestly kind of hard to even order them. I mean, Castillo is, probably number one but you could make the case for kirby at number one roster resource has kirby at three behind gilbert i think kirby is a better pitcher than gilbert but you know by next year we could be talking about brian Wu in that same category as well as being just as good and then i don't think i think bryce miller is probably you know quote unquote the worst of the bunch but he's still somebody that's probably going to be a sub four era type of pitcher at work and that's as your number five i mean a lot of teams would take Bryce Miller as their, I don't know how many teams would be the ace on five or seven teams. Or three. Be the ace on he, he'd be two or three. There's, there's a dozen places where they don't have pitching that even, you know, you might want to put him on if he wasn't so young, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, it, it's fun. And I'm glad that they didn't trade either Wu or Miller for an offseason bat, I thought for sure we were going to do a deal with the Pirates for Brian Reynolds, or we were going to make some big deal with the Cincinnati Reds and get back a steer or a God forbid, Jonathan India. Like I just, <laughs> you know, I thought that they were going to do something like that. And the fact that they didn't, that they moved Ray, that they moved Tony Disco, that they got rid of some of the other arms, either that they had acquired in the last couple of years or this offseason. I, I, I like that because th- that five, you you can win more than fifty four percent of your games if they're pitching at T Mobile. So that five is that five is absurd. And I've had I've asked this question to a few people, and when I did the Cincinnati Reds preview a few weeks ago with Jeff Erickson, I asked him this, and I'll ask you because it's the reverse side. Would you, as a Mariner fan, and I think I know what you're you're probably going to say, um, would you undo the Marte trade and keep Marte? And then have him and, you know, because your pitching is already very solid. Would you take back Noel V. Marte and sacrifice Luis Castillo? Would you undo that trade if given the chance? Or am I sounding crazy? I would try to get anybody but Noel V. Marte in that trade. But I'm, I, I will take Luis Castillo over Noel V. Marte. Luis Castillo is in the majors and he's elite and he has 
underlying stats that show that there are times that he's not, he, he should be getting better results than what he's actually getting on the field. Uh, Noel Marte is a bat to dream on, moving him over to third base and taking advantage of his athleticism there, the arm that he has, uh, his hit tool, he hits for power. Like, I love Noel Vey as one of our prospects, and I, I don't I didn't want to get rid of him then. And I, you know, I'm excited to see Cincinnati show that he's got something there, but I would, I would take that trade every time. Okay. Well, both of you guys seem pretty happy with it because Jeff said that he wouldn't undo it himself as a Reds fan. It's pretty rare that both fan bases come away happy from a trade, but it was Marte. And I forget now I'm forgetting the the second piece in there. There was, um, there was a couple of trades we made with them and I'm trying to remember if it was, Williamson or Stout, there was there was there was another pitcher that came over with Marte, and I don't remember if it was that was Brandon Williamson or Levi Stout, but both of those pitchers <clears throat> went over. One of them was in the deal for uh, Suarez and Winker. Um, there was so they traded uh, for Edwin Arroyo, Marte, and Levi Stout. That was that was the trade for Castillo. Arroyo. Yep, yep. Arroyo, yeah. What do you think of Edwin Arroyo? As a side note. I think he's he's a prospect that had good 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 skills and could still develop. I don't think he's going to be an all star. I think that there's a lot of uh, noise that he's going to have to remove himself from to become signal and really, you know, show himself out to be a a real asset on any fantasy team. But you know, he he was a great kid as far as I knew. I didn't hear a lot of uh, bad stuff about him. Uh, seemed to be get some buzz when he was in our system and. Now he's with Cincinnati, so that's a that's another deep system. Uh, yeah. So, meh, uh, yeah. excited for him. I hear you. Um, jumping back, jumping back into the rotation. There, my ADD will allow us to leave course on the show from time to time. But getting back on Logan Gilbert, is there any thought that you have that maybe he can get the strikeout rate up from where it is? Twenty four percent. It was twenty two percent the year prior. He's projected to be about 22, 23. I guess my question is more, can he sustain fantasy value without having a massively high strikeout rate? And there's very few pitchers that are able to do it. George Kirby is an example. George Kirby is is kind of rare in the fact that his control is just stupidly good. But we also saw Logan Gilbert have a sub 5% walk rate. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm asking you kind of a convoluted question, but... Will Gilbert be able to maintain kind of an elite fantasy game without having that elite strikeout number? Well, I think that there's there's a couple things going in his favor. One, we've talked at length about the stadium. You know, yeah. the stadium really benefits him as a pitcher. It benefits their ability to strike out batters, to limit damage. Um, so I think that he's in one of the best situations that he could have as he's figuring stuff out. He's still a young pitcher and you know, we've seen some pitchers can pitch in the majors for three, four or five years before they have that aha moment. There's Kevin Gossman who struggled for years with a, you know, at the time, a bad Baltimore Orioles organization for pitching and hitting development. They've obviously changed and have made some great moves in their front office. But Kevin Gossman is top five pitcher in baseball and redraft. Kevin Gossman is somebody that you want to have throwing for you in any game seven. He's, you know, he's just that dude. And I think that you know, when I think of Kevin Gossman, I think of Logan Gilbert. I think of somebody who is long and lean and a bulldog and really just wants to 
be really good at what he does. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the next few years, as he's figuring things out, his strikeout rate goes from 24 to 25 to 27 to 29. Okay. And all of a sudden, he's I don't think he's ever going to be a 30% strikeout pitcher. But in the high 20s with limited walks, if he gets up to nine, nine and a half Ks per nine, I think that that's that's going to be a top twenty pitcher for years to come. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you there. I, I'm I'm in I'm pretty much in lockstep with you. I just I think that he needs to get to that point of having a a little bit more security from the strikeout point of view. And maybe he doesn't need to because of the ballpark, because of the low walk rate. Maybe I'm just being selfish and I just want him to do everything because he's already so great. But I'm just hoping for you know maybe a 26 percent strikeout rate as opposed to. 22 23 it's not a huge difference but uh, i i kind of agree with you that he could be a guy where over the years we just see him gradually step up 23 to 25 to 26 and eventually he may hit 29 30 percent maybe not 30 but i could see him getting up there um in terms of bryce miller he's another guy who has that kind of similar profile um low walks not ton of strikeouts he's below a strikeout per nine 8.1 strikeouts per nine it was 22 percent strikeout rate do you agree with what i said where he's probably the weakest of the bunch is he the the lowest ceiling of all these guys uh i don't want to say lowest ceiling i want to say lowest floor okay i really think that he has an opportunity in that pitching lab specifically and at that ballpark to put together a two three four year run that you know when we look back at it we're like wow you know he really put up some great numbers i don't think he'll ever hit kirby and castillo numbers uh but i could see him you know i think that's a great comparable to like logan gilbert where we could have somebody who's just a really good pitcher and you know that they're going to get 170 innings so no, you're not taking them as your SP1, SP2, or SP3, but you want them as SP4, or SP5. He's he's that glue pitcher for you. And I think that if he if he continues to develop the way he's doing, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a Mariner pitcher for the next four or five years. And we just, you know, almost take him for granted because of all the shiny things that are around him in that rotation. It's really hard to seriously consider Bryce Miller as a great pitcher when you're dealing with a pitching staff that has a Kirby or a Castillo or a Wu or a Gilbert, you know, All of them, he, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's tough, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're an eight and a half and you're the ugly sister. I don't, I don't even know what to say for that poor guy. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a great comp. Uh, that, that is a great comp for him. Let's move to the pen. Let's talk Andres Munoz. I love Andres Munoz. There is, I guess, not a lot of question anymore without there being Paul Seawald in town. But is there any chance that maybe he doesn't just get the reins as the closer and they try more of a committee approach? Or I mean, I don't really expect it, but I've heard a lot of people mention it. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. The, the Mariners have always seemed to have a traditional closer role on top of having a really fluid bullpen. I think it's really easy to think of them as one of those bullpens that plays around, but Seawald for the last few years got most, the majority of the, the saves as soon as he left Munoz got the majority of the opportunities. You know, I don't think that they have a bullpen where they're afraid to throw three or four pitchers in there. You know, you've got Matt Brash, you've got Gregory Santos who just came over from the white Sox. Uh, you know, Gabe Spire and Taylor Sasato are, are pitchers that I think just really have that kind of it thing in their head. 
I like them as closers. They seem to really thrive in that role. So our ability to manufacture bullpen arms out of that pitching lab uh, is the only thing that gives me hesitation for Munoz being the solid closer. You know, he's he's an injury away from having Matt Brash step up and be the closer as an example. But short of injury, I don't think there's anything that stops Anthony Munoz from getting 30 to 40 saves this year. Is he somebody that you're you're willing to draft where he's going, which is in the top 100? He's going to pick 91 on average. Is that the range where you like to shop for closers? Do you more go for a hater or a Diaz or maybe wait even longer? Or do you like Munoz's price? I'm not as excited about hater this year, but pitchers like Diaz, pitchers like Munoz, there's a couple others. He's going to get you. If he pitches 60, 60, 70 games this year, he's going to get you over 100 strikeouts. And you're going to get that from a closer. So, yeah. you know, that alone with elite ratios is really hard to not want to have anchor your bullpen. And so, you know, if I don't get him, it's not the end of the world. There's a half dozen names that I would want to anchor a bullpen, but he's one of them. Um, yeah. I think that he's just so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. He's like a closer you build in a lab. If you get to choose how you go about, um, you know, constructing a player based on stats, characteristics. It's just a matter of are they going to do any funny business and maybe he doesn't get 30, he gets 26 saves because they're doing whatever kind of crap. But I, I don't I don't expect that. You kind of answered one of my questions already um, with, with your Matt Brash comment. You think if Munoz, let's say he got hurt or if the bottom just fell out and he was terrible, you think it would be Matt Brash that would be the guy that would assume that role? So this is some of my homerism coming out. I, I don't know if I can be completely unbiased when I answer this, but I think that Matt Brash is one of the nastiest pitchers in baseball. He's amazing. And I think that if, you know, he's he's not even controlling his pitches. He's throwing them at the plate and just letting them do whatever, right? Like he's yeah. he's stopping thinking about it. He's letting his $10 million arm do the work and his five-cent head doing less of it. And I, not to pick on him intellectually or any pitcher intellectually, but... I love it when pitchers stop thinking and just start doing because there's a comfort there. There's a, a, a relaxation that happens. There's a routine that you can get into, you know, repeatable delivery. I'm not thinking about it. I'm just doing it. And I think Matt Brash is draftable at the end of any draft still. Uh, you know, you're going to get, again, somebody who's going to strike out 80 to 100 bats, might walk into a half dozen saves, you know, his whip might kill you because he does when he's wild. He's I mean, <laughs> he sometimes he doesn't know where it's going. You know, it's just how that is. But I you know, he's he's disgusting in, in all the best ways possible. I just, you know, watching him pitch is so much fun. So he hit that magic number last year of a below 10% walk rate, which he'd never been able to do in the minor leagues. And, you know, his first stint in the majors in 2022, it was 15%. He got that down to 9.4. His strikeout rate in the minors had always been in the mid to high 30s. His first cup of coffee in the bigs, it was 28. This year, it was nearly 35. I get your point about the whip. That's kind of the only real concern I have for him. This last year was his coming out party. And I think you can make the case that because he is a relief pitcher, that you're probably not starting every single week. Uh, you you may or may not, depending on weekly, daily settings. But I don't think the whip is going to kill, even if it's not a good whip, which is not likely to be better than 1.25 or something like that. The volume that he's going to give you is 50 or 60 innings. So it's not going to kill you, and you're still going to be able to bank in those innings. Like last year, he threw 70 innings. He had 107 strikeouts. 
to get a hundred strikeouts from a from a relief pitcher, somebody who's not terribly expensive either. Um, where is his most recent price? Two fifty two. It's not cheap necessarily, but it's not expensive. Uh, if something happens to Munoz, he has that role. And even if something doesn't happen to Munoz, I mean, look at Munoz a couple of years ago when Seawald was the main closer in twenty twenty two. Munoz had like seven saves, five saves, and he was still close to a top 100 fantasy asset because of the monstrous strikeouts and the great ratios. Right. Brash is close to that. You know, he doesn't quite have the whip, but everything else, he's pretty damn close in terms of the production you're going to get from him. Um, so I love I love taking a chance on Brash. Even if something doesn't happen to Munoz, he could still be a very viable asset, specifically in 15-teamers. 10s and 12s might be tricky, but 15s, that's gold, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I would say uh, on top of that, if you're ever playing in a league that has holds, yep. he is he is absolutely draftable. There's no question about it because he is one of those arms that they always pitch before Munoz. If they're setting up Munoz, they want him to be in there and hold that lead. So like you said, he pitched 70 innings last year as a reliever. You know, he's going to get you accumulative stats from that position. And that's it's a real asset when you're when you're putting together your your roster at the end of a draft. You yeah. know he'll run into some wins. He'll run into a few. Even he's not going to be even if he's not the regular closer, which he's not going to be, barring something, he'll still get three, four, five saves. That's not nothing. It does come in handy in roto leagues. Three, four, five saves is sometimes all it comes down to. But Sam, I think we've covered uh, the Mariners in in good depth here. Have we missed anything? Is there any massive part of the Mariners' 2024 season that we've we've passed over here? Not at all. I just want to give some some names of some of the prospects that they have that I, I really like that are coming up. Okay. Um, Ryan Bliss at second baseman. Now that we signed Jorge Polanco, I don't think we're going to see him, but I was real interested to see what he could do. Uh, Tyler Locklear, who was at uh, the Arizona Fall League last year at first base and also plays third base, but I believe he's a first baseman. Uh, I was uh, real excited to see what he could do if Ty France doesn't show out. And then my favorite outfielder with them is a kid named Jonathan Classe, who's got 80 grade speed. And they were always worried about his bat coming around. But last year he hit for average and had some power. And so, you know, and I think it was like 84 steals or just something ridiculous. He was one of those Victor Scott, whatever people that you're just like, how did you, how did you steal that many bases? I know that the rules are different, but that number is obnoxious. Uh, if he hits in spring training, I see him making the roster. Uh, and you know, again, you can't keep somebody off of a, a lineup if they're hitting, if, if he hits, I can't see the Mariners not playing him. I can't, you know, he will be that third outfielder. If you can hit in any level, it's true when you're 10 years old, it's true in the major leagues, they'll find a place for you. If you can hit, they'll find a place for you. Yep. Sam, it's always a great time, man. It's, it's always a great time getting to catch up. It's good to do this kind of we're not quite at the halfway point to November yet, but it's good to kind of bridge the gap between seeing you here with a, with a podcast appearance. So I really appreciate you coming on today, man. I appreciate you having me again. Getting to talk about the Mariners is my favorite thing. And we didn't necessarily sign the bats that I was hopeful for or the arms. You know, I, I could have made a really compelling argument for the Mariners to sign Shohei or Cody Bellinger or you know, a number of those, but, uh, I think that the moves that the front office made, I actually, I'm, I'm not bad with, I, I think we have a better team going into this year than last year and actionable data said that at the beginning of the show in, in less than a week, in a week, we're going to have games and people are going to be reporting and like, we're going to have our thing. So I can't wait.
let's let's see what actually happens when they get uh, on the field. Hey, you know what, man? You guys added Polanco, you added Garver, you brought back Hanniger, you brought in Rayleigh. My team's big free agent acquisition was Justin Turner and Isaiah Kiner Falafa. So I will uh, happily, <laughs> happily trade places with you there. Uh, adding four bats to the lineup. My God, I would I would drop dead if Toronto did something like that. There's still a lot of free agents unsigned. You know, you never know what's going to happen, but you guys are far and ahead of what we've done this offseason. I'm grading our offseason an F. Yours is probably in the in the A or B range, at least comparatively speaking, for sure. So let um, me ask you real quick. What do you, would Cody Bellinger signing with Toronto, would that change your grade? Would you go from an F to a B? I wouldn't go up to a B. It would probably go up to like a C. It would it, it would be a desperation signing. If we sign Bellinger, it's simply because, oh, shit, there's nobody else left. Our team is definitely worse than last year. You let Chapman and Belt walk. You're letting like six war out the door like right there. Five, six war. You're replacing it with Kiner Falefa, who might break even on his war. And I know it doesn't all come down to that, but... Adding Bellinger, who has kind of a risky profile, he's very inconsistent year in and year out. Is he going to be an MVP? Is he going to suck? Is he going to be somewhere in between? Who knows? I wouldn't love it, but it would certainly improve this lineup right now. I'll tell you that because we're trotting out Kevin Biggio as the five hole. As the five hole. So Kevin Biggio got a job again. He's going to have a job out of spring training at this point. He's going to be in the in the starting lineup, which is just depressing. I'm going to have to start to drink soon, so we're going to have to wrap this up. But okay. Sam, <laughs> I'm talking about Kevin Biggio. It leads me to the bottle, but I do want to give you a chance. I do want to give you a chance to just remind everybody else um, where you can be found again, Dynasty Guru and Palazzo Podcast. But what do you have going on that you'd like to plug here? Again, just this uh, series that I've got going on, the Dynasty Guru, where we're interviewing uh, a lot of names that you should be aware of uh, for how they approach the game as far as fantasy and keepers go. And there's a lot of good stuff going on with the Palazzo podcast, like I said. So either place is a great place to get information, whether or not you're listening to me or reading something that I wrote or listening to one of the wonderful people that I work with. So uh, both platforms have got some fun things going on. We welcome everybody. And as a, a quick thing, my DMs are always open. I know mental health is a real thing for people. So if you're coming out of the hibernation and you need to talk to somebody about baseball or about life, hit me up. I'm I'm here for you. Everybody needs somebody in their corner. So, Sam, you are a great dude. You're one of the best people in the community. It's always great getting to talk with you. And you know, speaking of Palazzo podcast, tomorrow's guest is none other than Michael Govier himself, talking Detroit Tigers with us. Woohoo! If you like Palazzo, come ahead and join us uh, for Thursday's show. Go and find Sam on Twitter at samfbb1. He is criminally underfollowed over there, so please do go give him a follow. I'm at Joe Rico 99 ethos fantasy BB for all different updates, any podcast articles, all of that. And like I said, sportsethos.com If you're not somebody who uses social media, that'll wrap it up. Check out tomorrow's show with Govier, but until then take care and have a great night, everybody. Peace and love.